0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI Podcast episode, I talk with Katie Nielsen about DEI and how to support specific types of workers and how to help English learners in the workplace. Katie Nielsen, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be with you. I'm so excited to have a conversation on one of my favorite topics. I love talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how we can create safe places in the workplace and better support our employees. So we're going to be focusing on that topic today, but also zooming in on uh, how to support different segments and types of workers, and particularly uh, English learners in the workplace, uh, which is an area of expertise that you bring to the table. As we get started, I wanted to share Katie's bio with everybody. Katie Nielsen earned her PhD in SLA in 2013. Her research focused on technology-mediated language training, as well as Instructed SLA and cognition. She has dedicated her career to making language learning more accessible and effective using innovative technologies and research based best practices. She has led teams to design award winning language courses for the US government, universities, and language training centers. She spent years evaluating and analyzing commercially available language learning products, and she has conducted extensive empirical research on how to design online language programs that are efficient, effective, and entertaining. She is the founder and chief education officer at Boxy Engine, a public benefit company, and her current goal is to leverage this technology to deliver high-quality needs-based English instruction to immigrants and refugees, rapidly giving them the tools they need to advocate for themselves and their families and improve their economic outcomes. Uh, What a tremendous background and an interesting uh, scholar practitioner background that you have. I really appreciate that. Anything else uh, that you would like to share with listeners by way of your background before we launch on into the conversation?
1: No, they've probably heard enough with that. <laughs> you can just start talking.
0: Oh, uh, well, I, I really do uh, love sharing the the great uh, backgrounds of of each uh, guest on this podcast. and I, I really appreciate all the good work that you've done to prepare yourself to do the work that you're doing today. Um, okay, so let's, Let's uh, frame this up a little bit. Um, we can start a little bit more generally and talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion um, you know, as a general kind of framing and context. Why do you see that as something that's important that organizations need to be focusing on? And then we can zoom in and talk more specifically about, you know, as you mentioned in your bio, uh, immigrants and refugees, uh, those trying to learn English and how we can assist them and, and support and empower them uh, to find success.
1: So for the first part of your question, I think we often talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but we don't always put Things into practice that help with them, so help that help with equity in general. So, so we might have a chief diversity officer, but what is that person doing, and how are we helping our diverse populations actually thrive in the workplace? And that's the piece that I think our whole country is struggling with right now. If you look at the effects of COVID nineteen and what it meant for job losses, what it's how it's disproportionately affected women and people of color, uh, and Immigrants tend to be a, a population. It's 40% of immigrants in the United States right now are Black, and something like 85% are people of color. So there is a, a subpopulation of this diverse population that gets completely overlooked. When I sit on panels and I talk to people about what they're doing about diversity, they, we're starting to have programs and practices that will help different populations. But when I ask, well, what are you doing about speakers of other languages? I hear things like, well, that group can't really advocate for itself. And that's true. Like we need to uh, think about our populations of speakers of other languages in the workplace because we will never have an inclusive and equitable distribution of jobs if we have whole groups that can't actually communicate.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, very well said. And it's, it is interesting. I mean, on the one hand, I'm really glad that DE&I stuff has gone more mainstream. Like it is something that's constantly discussed in organizations now. And I think most leaders recognize that at least they have to act like they care about DE&I and have the conversations. But the question is, are we actually moving the needle? Is it enough to have the conversations? And, and that's a good starting point. If, you know, if people have a lot of implicit biases, you know, you have to start meet them where they're at and start to help them unravel those and understand and, and, and conversations and, and putting in place you know, uh, committees and, or a, h- hiring a chief diversity officer to, to uh, springboard you know, initiatives. All of that I think is good, but ultimately we, we have to get past that. We have to get to the point where we're actually driving change for these populations, where we're actually creating a, an equitable environment, where we're actually breaking down the systems and barriers that, that negatively impact you know, some of these uh, populations and these, these different um, subsets of workers. And so it's not enough to just give lip service to it. Even, even sincere lip service, even if like we really do believe it and, and we're talking about it with passion, we got to get past that um, to drive actual change.
1: We do. And we actually also need to know how to measure the change. So just saying we need to do something, definitely not enough and doing things is important, but but there is no universal metric by which we measure how inclusive and collaborative and equitable our workplaces are. And, and we need to start putting those things forward because we have to be able to hold ourselves accountable for making meaningful change. So what percentage of people get promoted who are from XYZ diverse backgrounds? Okay, that's a question. And are our workplaces actually asking it? I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, most most aren't actually implementing... Um, meaningful initiatives in the first place, let alone assessing them (laughs) and trying to to figure out the right metrics and and how to track it over time. Um, And another
1: thing, actually, I think that's super important is to include the populations that you're attempting to offer equitability to Or equality to in the conversation, so we can't just have like a chief diversity officer on a mountaintop saying we're going to do five things, and this is what they are like. We need to talk to the people who are affected by systemic racism and a historic inability to you know provide equitable arrangements for mothers in the workplace and ask them what they need like. What would help you do your job better what training, do you need what support, do you need and triangulate all of that data to try to create policies and procedures that will make sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's a tricky balance too, because on the one hand, we absolutely need to involve uh, people in the process of these conversations and the decision-making and uh, in influencing the, the way these policies, practices, and procedures are developed and shaped and implemented. Um, and, and that means we have to give voice to marginalized populations and, and make sure everyone has a seat at the table. But on the other hand, so often we end up probably most of the time inadvertently, I would think, but we, we often end up tokenizing uh, individuals and putting a lot of the burden on them, um, a lot of the workload of DE&I onto people of color, for example, uh, and that's not fair either. So this this, no, this, can, this can be a, yeah, it's really complicated. It's, it's a difficult needle to thread, I think. Um, and, and so, yeah, we can dive on into, you know, talk about some of the things that we can do to try to help with that. Um, so let's zoom in a little bit on the second part of my introductory question then. Okay, so now, and, and you've already laid a little bit of the groundwork in the context for this, but now we're talking more specifically about <clears throat> immigrants, refugees, other people um, that are, you know, English as a second language who are, are struggling to learn and communicate within the con- common language within the workplace. What can we do as employers to empower them, to support them so that they can be more engaged, so they can be uh, more involved in the process of all these de i discussions.
1: Well, the first step is acknowledging that they are in the workplace and they have needs. Um, and. The, the second step is to think about English as something that you can actually offer workplace based training for. So this is involves a little bit of rethinking like the US is pretty terrible at language learning. Most Americans will tell you they took five years of Spanish and they can't say anything. So that means we're kind of a hopelessly monolingual society with a large population of people who speak other languages. And monolingual Americans will look at them and think well I took five years of Spanish that I don't know how on earth, I'm going to help these employees get English skills and and the truth is that it's not an insurmountable obstacle we just generally go about it the wrong way so. When you think about upskilling people in the workplace and giving them uh, training to do specific job tasks, English is one of those things. There's a whole approach to language learning called task-based language teaching, which starts with the tasks people need to accomplish in the target language and gives them the skills to accomplish those tasks. And I've seen this work in the wild, in the lab, in multiple contexts all over the world for the last 20 years. And I'm starting to see it here in the US and it's really exciting where employers are are realizing, hey, I have a lot of workers and I'm not meeting their needs. If we help them get English skills, not only will it help them communicate better in the workplace and be more collaborative participants in workplace culture, but it also will enable them for promotion and advancement because while we're facing this diversity, equity and inclusion crisis, we're also facing what's being called a talent shortage crisis. And we are overlooking a huge talent pool by not thinking about immigrants, refugees, speakers of other languages, many of whom are highly trained foreign professionals and getting them the language skills they need to move into career pathways within a workplace. So this isn't even like a a thing employers should do because it's the right thing to do. If they do this, it will help them with safety regulations being followed. It will help them with employees feeling happy and being able to communicate. And it will help them with talent to promote into other jobs.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a cliche, but you, you, you know, the, the engineer who, you know, the person who is an engineer in another country, they come to the U S now they're a janitor or they were a surgeon and now they come over here and they, they, you know, work at a, at a, retail store or something yeah, like it, it's the,
1: not a cliche like that it, that story happens over and it over it and does over it
0: now. does so it gets portrayed in media as just kind of this funny thing but it, it's it's a heartbreaking thing like people who leave their professions they leave their their homes they come here they they are incredibly talented and incredibly uh, capable and there's just a language barrier. And, and that is something that can be overcome to your point. And I really, I really like uh, the focus on task based learning. And it, it reminds me so, so years ago, uh, I ended up you know, spending about three years in South Korea, and uh, the the language training that I uh, encountered at the time to, to learn Korean was very task based. And so the whole idea was try to make them as functional as possible in as short a shorter period of time as possible, recognizing that their functionality is going to be super narrow. <laughs> so I, I, you know, you talk to me about like ninety percent of things, I have no idea what they're talking about. But if you talk about these things, I can communicate effectively, right? So that's that's what I did, um, and it, it, it allowed me to really just dive on in and get immersed in a Korean culture, in a, clean, a Korean language, in a Korean workplace um and over time expand from there right so you start yes. with the tasks you learn how to do what you're doing day to day and then over time it expands and you your vocabulary expands um uh, and you you just you have that base and now now you can grow from there and it, it makes perfect sense to me that's how I experienced it um it's
1: true. but but you were somebody who left the country and went to experience it somewhere else that is definitely yeah. not what we're doing in high school classrooms when <laughs> no. we know how to <laughs> conjugate root <laughs> verbs And and learning a language is learning a skill, and we learn skills by doing them. So, if I spent five years teaching you about how to ride a bike, and you filled out diagrams of riding a bike, and you labeled the pedals, and some days, if you were very good, I let you ride an exercise bike, you still would go outside and not be able to ride a bike. And it's the same thing with speaking a language, you have to just start doing it. And it's hard at first and awkward and you mess it up. But the more you practice and like to your point, the better you get at using it to do specific things, the more you can extend that ability to other related tasks. And you are comfortable for listening for context clues and you acquire vocabulary before you even know you've done it. Because a lot of that learning is implicit. We can't just give you a book on how to do it. You have to do it yourself.
0: and explore those ordinary everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Yeah, there's there's no uh, shortcut to it. And it's, it's about immersion, it's about practice and application, right? And the
1: workplace is a perfect place for that. So workplaces in the U.S. are all, we conduct our business in English. So if we help our employees get the English skills they need to do their jobs in English, they're gonna be able to use it in the greater workplace and really help them get jobs with economic mobility. I mean, the other problem is that there is no other place for them to get it. Like, as a country, the United States meets the needs of less than 4% of our adult English learners, mm-hmm. which is why if you are a doctor in Mauritania and you come here and you're working as a security guard at night, there isn't a place for you to go to get English class. If you're super lucky, you get off a wait list at, for a class in a church basement and you go there after you work all day and you have a well meaning volunteer who has no idea how to teach you, who uses a textbook with like a train schedule from 1982. So you're never going to get the English you need to get a job in the allied healthcare profession. But but if your hospital employer who's employing you as like a security guard had classes that could help you get the English you needed to get into like career training programs that they offer, we could, we could really help solve this problem. Employers could do it. And, and it if you think about the ROI of investing in training in yeah. any capacity, they're going to get a benefit from helping upskill their workforce with English. It's going to pay for itself.
0: Yeah, no question. And and as you've highlighted, um, I mean, there's the human case to do this. It's the right thing to do. The the business case is also pretty darn clear, though, that there's going to be tremendous ROI. And in in a labor market where we have you know skilled skill position shortages like we just don't have enough good people to go around to fill the positions that we need we have to look at ways to to reskill and upskill our people and i agree like i I'm trying to remember the last time I ever heard language even mentioned as it's a not. topic. And, and I'm not sure I ever have <laughs> other than like when I went through it, you know, years ago outside the country. And so um, so it really is an interesting thing. So I guess the question then it becomes, okay, how do we do this? So anyone listening, we're acknowledging this, you know, for the, maybe for the first time we have this recollection, uh, we, we have this realization that, yeah, we have this, this untapped um, skilled labor market that we're not, Fully utilizing, I want to to help them uh, develop their language abilities and help tap into that and to their skills and competencies. What's the first step? How do I get started with that and uh, start to to move the needle in, in that arena?
1: So the first step is acknowledging that this is an area of training for your organization. And then there are multiple ways you can go about this. Like I, as I said, I founded a public benefit company that has a technology platform that can do this in a scalable, personalized way. Um, But I also help organizations think about how to do it using a local community college with a teacher who can come to a site and help figure out what the learners need to learn, or a combination of using technology and using local teachers. Um, We can do it with uh, you, you you could do it with, the, take these volunteers who we have, we could find ways of connecting volunteers with um, workforce materials with an organization. So like, I, I'm not here to pitch my product and platform, but but I did build it and design it after spending 25 years seeing this problem in the United States and knowing that the way to solve this at scale is with something that's accessible via mobile applications, that's adaptive, that's personalized, that's tied to learners' workplace tasks. Whether a workplace takes the time to figure all of that on their own or they work with an outside expert to do it, that's the first step, is acknowledging that this is a problem to be solved and evaluating the different options for bringing this training into the workplace. But but it's definitely possible to do, and we're seeing more and more employers think about this as a benefit that they wanna offer to their staff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and, and what are some of the tools? I mean, you've mentioned your involvement in this space and developing, uh, technologies and, and, uh, applications and, and, uh, approaches to do this more effectively. Um, and, you know, I, I think of like things like Duolingo, um, that, that me and my kids just do for fun. Like sometimes we're just sitting at home, uh, on a evening and we're, you know, we just Hey, let's, let's uh, play around and learn some Italian, you know, or whatever. And I, but I actually don't have any idea how effective it is. <laughs> uh, we um, just do, we just do it for fun.
1: Right. And that's the thing is, is that's not a really task-based approach to no. language learning It's no. teaching you vocabulary words, which is yeah. fun. And it's like nice for your kids to know that there are words in Italian that they can learn through the app. Um, but what you really want is to do a needs analysis of the employees in the workplace who don't speak English what they need to do the jobs they have now and what they need to do the jobs that they could get as a next step and doing that initial analysis means interviewing their managers and thinking through what their job tasks are and is the english they use written or is it spoken are there materials they need to read are there things they need to write then taking that content and turning that into the English program, because then you can very quickly move learners from the level that they have for the job they have now for the level they have, they need for the next job up. And I've seen successful pre-apprenticeship language programs where they've taken immigrants and helped them get the leadership skills and English skills they need to move from being like factory floor workers to like the sanitation lead in a factory. And so it's, it's it's not taking language out of the job tasks, but it's thinking about it holistically. Like the job training has to include a component of language. And it gets back to the initial questions about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Like a big barrier for this big population that often take frontline jobs is English skills. So we have to include removing English as a barrier when we think about upskilling them.
0: So, I mean, what what I'm hearing makes complete sense to me, but it also seems a little daunting. And that is that you're going to have to customize your approach, you know, within your own organization based on the needs, um, the types of jobs, the types of tasks, uh, the level, you know, the needs analysis and the level that, you know, current workers are at and where you think they might be able to go. Um, And so I can imagine listeners are thinking, this all sounds wonderful, I I would love to get involved. But, you know, we don't have the capacity to, to develop our own um, English language program, that's unique to our situation, our people, um, what, how would you respond to that? And and are there any, any, uh, tools that can help us with that to, to make the load a little bit lighter?
1: So you're right. And 25 years ago, when I built my first task-based course and I was doing the needs analysis, I realized that this is something that you need to, um, to do at scale requires Technology, which is why I invented a platform that can do that. So I, I worked, my organization works directly with employer partners, taking their content and very quickly turning it into lessons for their workforce that's delivered through a web and mobile application so that it can all be managed by like an hour a week of a training manager at a work site. Um, and that's the solution. That's like, I, I have 10 patents on the software that I designed that can let us do this at scale. Um, so you can either invest in building something yourself, or like, I work with like individual, like Tzatziki's Cafe is an example of an employer that invests in helping their frontline workers get the English skills they need. And we have a bunch of examples of workers who've been promoted from you know, back of the office kitchen staff to working as a general manager to taking orders over the phone. And they can use my platform at a much more in a much more reasonable way with content that makes sense for their workforce. And we can do that across sectors, across industries.
0: Yeah, well, good. I mean, that I think that's super helpful. Uh, that alone can help take some of the load off. <laughs> uh, and I think it's always just important to think about what is out there. Like we usually don't have to reinvent the wheel. And in, in this case, there are there are support systems and mechanisms out there to help us to do this and to do it well. Uh, And it's, I, I, you know, I can't help, but think, you know, that some people might think, okay, we're going to do this, but essentially they, they decide to kind of go halfway and half halfway to me looks like a complete waste of time and money because, because you end up with a bad program that doesn't actually fit the needs um, that, that then people don't really buy into because they don't see the relevance. And you don't have the ROI and the impact that you think you might have, and so so it, it really is something that I think you know we take the time to think about how to do this the right way, uh, put the amount of investment into it that will help it to be successful, and then give it time to play out uh, so that we we yes. can see the benefits
1: and put put tools in place to measure outcomes and ROI. I do it with every one of my implementations. i not only look to make sure that learners are engaging with the platform and the material and that they're learning English, but also what happened? Like, what did their boss say? What did they say? Did they get a promotion? Did they get a pay raise? Were they able to get a better job? Because in the end, we're, I'm advocating for helping people get English skills because I want them to be able to get a job with economic mobility, not because I want them to learn English. Like this is to try to help people get make their lives better and help make help employers have a better workplace, a workplace that's more that's more diverse and also more functional.
0: Yeah, yeah, excellent. Well said. Well, Katie, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. The time has flown by. Uh, I, I, note the time and, and want to let you get on with your busy day, but before we close today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your platform, more about your team, what you can do for them, and then give us a final word on the topic for today.
1: Sure. So you can find me um, at, uh, you can email me katie at voxiengen.com you can go to com and find information about my platform and what I do. You can find me on Twitter, KB Nielsen. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to talk to anyone, anytime. And my my final word here is if you're an employer and you're thinking about your staff and you see that you have workers where English is a barrier, please don't think that English is an insurmountable obstacle because we know based on decades of research that we can quickly help people get the language skills they need for promotion and advancement. And acknowledging that and then trying to find some kind of training that can work in your context is taking a huge first step to having a workforce that's actually. That's, that's not only more diverse, but that is more inclusive, because if everybody can speak a common language, they can communicate with you, with your customers, and they'll do a better job.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Katie. It has been a real pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Katie and her team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, That you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.